The more sacrifice is, that is involved in the adoption, the more it mirrors and displays the message of the gospel. So you think about the Pilsons, a, an incredibly arduous journey, a challenge at every step. Mm -hmm. The only thing that kept them going forward mm -hmm. was their desperate love for this little girl who had done nothing to earn their love. So you have this girl who didn't know the Pilsons, didn't know Tim and Kat, didn't know their kids, didn't know any of them, just in a, a total foreign country, oblivious to who they are. And they are raising tens of thousands of dollars. And they get there and they're there for weeks and weeks beyond what they thought they were going to be. Right. And I'm here watching my friend Tim uh, hold himself together yeah. when he should have been falling apart, paying a terrible price. But they did that because they loved a little girl who had done nothing to earn their love. Welcome to the Inhale, Exhale podcast from Fielder Church. I'm your host, Lincoln Bruner. And today on the program, you're going to hear from the Pilsen family, Tim and Kat from Fielder Church, talk about the adoption odyssey that they went through to get their daughter, Kezi, from Liberia. You're going to hear about God's faithfulness. You're going to hear about how they saw God work in totally unexpected ways to help them get their daughter home. You'll also hear from lead pastor Jason Predis talking about his adoption journey and what his heart for adoption has become since he and his wife Virginia added to their family by adopting two children from China. So buckle up, you're in for a treat here on the Inhale Exhale podcast from Fielder Church. Welcome again to the Inhale Exhale podcast. We are coming to you from Studio A at Fielder Church. We have Jason Paredes, lead pastor of Fielder Church with us. Hey, hey. Thank you very much, Jason. Thanks for coming by. Hey, glad to be here. Jason, uh, we have a lot of things going on right now. Why don't you tell us about a couple of things that have been going on in Fielder recently that you're excited about? Well, man, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, um, there's not a soul in our church who, Lord willing, doesn't know about God's incredible move toward bringing two congregations together to be one with yes. South Oaks yes. and how um, God miraculously moved to bring these congregations together. And I, we've just been, as a staff and as a church body and as me and my family, just been floored by God's hand of orchestration, this divine sense of I'm, I'm in all the details, I'm pulling this thing together mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we're still kind of at the starting block of this thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 like we sprinted to just get to the line to start the sprint. Yeah. Um, but God's been his hand has been so evident in the story of bringing our congregations together. There's a bit of that uh, Shekinah glow all over yeah. Fielder, all over me in the yeah. sense of uh, seeing God's hand at work. So rejoicing in that. It's been a it's been a wild beautiful crazy ride to even right. get where we are today right but i'm rejoicing in it so yeah grateful for god's move it's fantastic i um you know in, t in talking about uh what's been happening uh kind of at an official level we called this kind of an adoptive merger right mm -hmm. uh a blending of two families two two bodies of believers uh with south oaks baptist now the south oaks uh, campus of fielder uh and it makes me wonder about the nature of adoption mm -hmm. in general. Uh, 
adoption is a big deal here at Fielder. Yeah. And we've made it a big deal uh, for a number of years now. And that's been for some specific reasons. Right. And I wanted to talk to you about that today. Sure. Because adoption, obviously, as the father of two adopted children, mm -hmm. is a big deal to you and your mm -hmm. wife. But I want to find out from you uh, both your personal perspective on it and then what you think God's heart for adoption is. Yeah. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that. And, and uh, you know, you take your pick you know, from God's perspective and, the, and through the Bible or, or just your own. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good segue, by the way, man. That's awesome. You know, it's a uh, it's a funny journey yeah. because uh, I'd have to confess my heart for adoption was unnecessarily small hmm. before God kind of forced me into it. What do you mean by that? You know, I, I just it wasn't on my radar. Hmm. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to have biological children and that's what we're going to do. And we had two of them. Yeah. And there's my story. And, you know, I want to have four at some point and I'll be good to go. I wanted four boys, two girls right out of the chute. So, <laughs> all right, Lord. Uh, and I, I told Virginia, I still want four boys. She goes, dream on. <laughs> we don't do concubines around here, so I don't know what you're going to do. But I didn't have the adoption anywhere. Now, Virginia, uh, because she's a saint, she she had always thought I, one day I would like to adopt. I, I want that to be part of the story. Okay. But she and I never really talked about it. And it yeah. was, you know, I'm, I'm Senor Oblivious. I don't have a clue about that anywhere. And um, I go to an orphanage and I meet children because I'm the missions pastor of this church at the time. Right. And we're supporting an orphanage. Right. And even still, I meet these beautiful children and just right over my head. You know, I, I don't, I'll never think I could adopt any of them. You know, right. I'm not supposed to. Uh, and so my journey has always been uh, a, a journey of discovery of where God's heart is to begin with. Yeah. And uh, and it it was surprising. I was the first time Virginia brought it up to me. My my first word back was, "Nope, no, we're not supposed to do that," huh. because here are the eighteen reasons why. And you know, it's it's going to cost too much money. It's going to be uh, more than our family can handle. There's uh, there's going to be issues that we're not prepared for mm -hmm. and, you know, just whatever. Mm -hmm. You can come up with any excuse. I came up with it. It's disruptive. It's whatever. Yeah. 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 There are going to be issues that we're not going to know how to handle. And, right. Uh, and right. you know, it, so there was a journey of discovering why in the first place. Yeah. And, and you could say, well, because there's need. Well, I knew there was need, but that still didn't stir my heart to do anything about it. Okay. So I had to go on a journey of discovering the heart of the Father of God. Uh, the heart of Father God on this issue. What, yeah. what does God really think about adoption? Hmm. And and how does the gospel speak into that? Because as God has made me more gospel-centered as a person, as a believer, as I read the scriptures with the good news of Christ's death and resurrection being the centerpiece, it affects the way you view all the other things that orbit around it, adoption oh, being one of those. Yeah. So my story, and I've shared to the congregation many times, was uh, it was really a desperation for the presence of God because the as God was calling me and my wife to adopt, and as I was being more and more belligerent, belligerent and disobedient in my willingness to go there, the more distant I felt God was from me. I felt like God was leaving me. What I didn't realize is God was going toward adoption and calling me to come, and I was just parked on my tush, not willing to go with him. And so, yeah, he was feeling further and further away because he kept going, come with me, Jason, come with me. I'm going, Jason, come with me. And I wasn't going with him. And so uh, there was a moment in in prayer uh, and really just reading the scriptures where God revealed this idea. I need to be desperate for his presence in Exodus chapter 40, 
really mm-hmm. the, the tabernacle moving and mm-hmm. needing to pack up my tabernacle and go with them, mm-hmm. where finally I said, that for no other reason, God, than to have your presence, if adoption is the way I, I catch up with you and I feel your presence, I'm in. So there was no theology behind it. There was no, I really believe that, um, you know, this heart of the gospel is, it was just, God, I'm desperate for you. And if you're going toward adoption and that's where I'm going to find you, then I'm adopting because I want you. And so it was a, it was an odd sort of way to arrive at adoption. But I, I kind of, I, I learned the gospel centeredness of adoption after the fact, uh, not, not before it. Right, right. So I, I stumble into this beautiful thing called adoption yeah. um, from, a, from a different tributary, if you will, into that river. And, uh, and, and God showed me who he is, specifically uh, while we were adopting our son, Max. Okay. And there was, a, there was a definitive moment, and um, it was a life-altering moment for me. Did this happen in China? In China. Um, and it was the, the very day we adopted Max. Okay. We're in, we're in Beijing. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, Maddie, or excuse me, my daughter, Abby, uh, was was throwing up, vomiting, sick, and mm-hmm. just not not like a, oh, pobrecita, poor little girl, yeah. and, you know, no, like yeah. white <laughs> and dying, and, um, and, and I don't know what to do because I'm in Beijing, China, and I don't, right. I don't speak the language, I don't have a physician here, and, and I have a white. four-year-old daughter who is dying yeah. and, like, can't hold down a cap full of water. And, you know, I, I just, I had a freak out moment um, when I was holding her in my arms and she was almost feeling lifeless. Like oh she God. just, she was barely breathing. She was so weak and I was so uh, incapable of doing anything. I literally went down. I told Virginia, I just got to, I've got to go. I've got to do something. I can't just sit here and watch my daughter die. I go down the elevator out into the streets. We're in, we're in downtown Beijing. Yeah. And I'm walking in the middle of a street um, because I, I'm just looking for a sign for a hospital for something. Everything you know, everything's in Chinese. I don't, I don't know what anything means. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I'm I'm fr- I'm freaking out. Yeah. And and I tell God in a time of prayer, God, I didn't come here to bring in a child at the cost of losing a child. That this is not this is not okay with me. When all of a sudden, right, I mean, in the middle of a street in downtown Beijing, God says to me, as clearly as he said anything else, Jason, isn't that exactly what I've done for you? Didn't I give up my son to bring you into my family? And it was like all of a sudden the gospel message became crystal clear to me. Adoption is about the gospel. This is the central message of the whole Bible is that God gave up his son so that I could be adopted. Now, praise God. He didn't take my daughter, Abby. Yeah. And it was really shortly after that. She just started on her own, perk up. We never went to a doctor, never gave her any medicine. Don't even really know what happened. Uh, and, and maybe it was just for no other reason than to, to show me the gospel-centeredness of adoption because he was going to one day want me to lead a church that would be gospel-centered and therefore adoption would be at the forefront of it. But it was that, that was the beginning place of realizing adoption isn't just a corollary of God. This is the very heartbeat of who he is. There's a passage of scripture. Uh, it's it's Galatians chapter four. It's one of the main ones about adoption. But mm-hmm. but when the fullness of time had come, this is chapter four, verse four. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Mm-hmm. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So this whole concept of the gospel is. We are no longer 
servants or slaves on the outside, we have been adopted. We are adopted and we get to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, and we're now children of Almighty God. That's the centerpiece of the gospel itself. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden I realized if, if and when I adopt and if and when I do it again, which the Lord has allowed us to do it, those moments are actual spiritual warfare moments because we are declaring and proclaiming and advancing the gospel as we bring children into our home because we're showing the very tenet of the gospel. Yeah. We are willing to give up, to bring in, to, to draw in a child who, who didn't earn our affection or our love. It's not like Max or Jovi, the two, girl, the two children that we've adopted from China, have have like, you know, they, they wrote us a letter saying, come adopt me and here's $100,000. They didn't do anything. Right. They, they didn't even know who we were. We chose them. We pursued them. We came after them because we chose to love them mm-hmm. of nothing on their own and to sacrifice to bring them into our family. That's the very gospel yeah. trumpeted as loudly as can be yeah. through adoption. So it was on the journey, I've learned so much of, of how adoption and the gospel aren't just... Uh, close right they are they are pegged together they right. are intrinsic, to, intrinsic intrinsic exactly yeah. one to the other yeah uh, so some of the things that god has shown me in this process very good and as you've watched other people in our congregation adopt and go through various trials let's be honest mm-hmm. uh what has that shown you uh as kind of a second step uh beyond your journey yeah uh what you know we've we've, we've seen um well, recently, the Pilsen family yeah. has you know, been through a bit to bring their daughter home from Liberia. Um, the, uh, what's something that you would remind families of who are either having a tough time with adoption or uh, thinking about it but not quite sure that they want to take the step that you and Virginia did? I mean, what, are, what are some things that you would want to remind people of? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it was interesting. I really had a deep sense that um, when God had called Virginia and I to adopt Max, now I wasn't the pastor of the church. I was uh, I was the missions pastor of the church. I had no concept of ever being the pastor of this church, but we both felt like God had called us to adopt Max for a reason larger than just Max. Hmm. That God would call us to lead a congregation, lead a people toward a heart for this, yeah. which God gratefully and, and graciously has, has allowed to happen. Yeah. Um, but one of the main reasons why, I think, was because the church, as it adopts more and more children, the gospel message becomes more and more believable to people around. And, and here's where the question you just asked has the main corollary to it. The more sacrifice is that is involved in the adoption, the more it mirrors and displays the message of the gospel. So you think about the Pilsons. Yeah. A, an incredibly arduous journey. Yes. The challenge at every step, Mm -hmm. the only thing that kept them going forward Mm -hmm. was their desperate love for this little girl who had done nothing to earn their love. So you have this girl who didn't know the Pilsons, didn't know Tim and Kat, didn't know their kids, didn't know any of them, just in a a total foreign country, oblivious to who they are. Mm -hmm. And they are raising tens of thousands of dollars. And they get there, and they're there for weeks and weeks beyond what they thought they were going to be. Right. And I'm here watching my friend Tim uh, hold himself together yeah. when he should have been falling apart, paying a terrible price. Sure. But they did that because they loved a little girl who had done nothing to earn their love. And in the Pilsons now, 
anybody who will listen to their testimony will get to see a picture of the Father's love for us. Yeah. The greater the sacrifice, the more it mirrors the sacrifice of the Father who said, I give up my child so that you can be brought into my family. And so for every family who's listening to this, who's in the process of adoption, and it's more arduous than they thought, it's costing more money than they thought, mm-hmm. moments where they want to pull their hair out, there, there are more paper things to, paperwork to fill out than they thought, there's more yeah. videos to watch or trainings to go to than they thought, then we can hold deep to our hearts. The more we sacrifice, the more we give, the more we, uh, the heart of the journey is, the more we're displaying the heart of the Father and selflessly loving a child who doesn't deserve it because the Father selflessly loved us when we didn't deserve it. And so it feeds into the very story of the gospel that people can get to see. So that's why I want to encourage the church to keep doing it because the world has seen the gospel lived out as we adopt and as we foster. Absolutely. Wonderful. Wonderful. One last question about adoption for you. When you brought your daughter home, and you made this a very public thing at the church, there was a period where um, there was sort of a getting to know you type uh, situation, and, and the, <laughs> yeah. to put it mildly, right? Yeah. Well, and the, and it happens often with adoption, and, yeah. and um, you know we could hear the the heartache in mm-hmm. your voice from from the stage. We could we could hear the heart of you know uh, a dad who really wanted to bond with his daughter, but that didn't go nearly as uh, smoothly as you had hoped, yeah. right? So again. Uh, how what did you take from that situation? Because I, I feel like the question's worth asking just for people who may be going through the same thing or wondering, did I make a mistake? Yeah. What's what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, can, you t- can you recount that a little bit for us and, and, yeah. and tell us what yeah. you've learned? Well, it's it's great uh, for me to think about because we just celebrated on the tenth of October Jovi's third birthday. Yeah, uh, been with us for a little over a year, yeah. and the change is so phenomenal, yeah. so dramatic. Yeah, but God taught me. He taught me the nature of his love for me through this. First John chapter 3, right at the very beginning of it. Behold the kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. It's a command to look upon the love of God, to really consider the love of God. Yeah. And I'll, I'll confess, I hadn't really done that until I got forced to. Because I loved a little girl. I sacrificed for a little girl. I moved our family uh, to stir. I was the impetus for adoption this time around. The first time it was Virginia, this time it was me. Yeah. I was the one who said, I believe this is the girl um, that we're supposed to pursue. So I, I'm almost mirroring the heart of the father saying, I, I choose as the daddy, as the father, this little girl, and we're going to do everything we can to get her. And to get her and to see her wholesale reject me, all of a sudden I looked up and realized Father, this is exactly what I've done for you. Like you've, before I ever chose you, you had given your son for me. You have loved me. You have orchestrated the events of life for me because you're pursuing me with a hot, beautiful pursuit while I'm spitting in your face, while I'm screaming at you, while I'm choosing on the weekends to go out and drink with my friends instead of come pursue you because I think that's going to make me cool when I'm still in high school. And I'm I'm utterly rejecting the father who is pursuing me with every bit that he has at the greatest cost. And I had never beheld that. I had never looked upon that until I experienced it by pursuing a little girl with all that I had, and, and she utterly rejected me. Yeah. And I felt the pain of it. I felt the sear of it. Yeah. And it, there were moments when uh, I was selfish and would say, woe is me. But there were other moments where I'd look up to heaven and go, oh, my goodness, God, I never knew how much you loved me. 
until I realized what unconditional love really looks like and feels like. And then the Lord told me, uh, clearly in times of prayer, in my most desperate moments, Jason, you love her unconditionally, and I'm going to show you how powerful unconditional love is. You will win her heart. And here I am a year later, and on, on her birthday, I'm holding her, and she's smiling and tickling my chin and saying, I love you, Daddy. And it's just a the, the, the unconditional love of God is so powerful, it conquers the heart. And I got to see that displayed with a flesh and blood human being yeah. that I, I put my love into. So it was painful, uh, but there's I, w- I wouldn't change anything because it taught me so much about God's love for me. Welcome again to the Inhale Exhale podcast, and I'm here in the studio with Kat and Tim Pilsen, and we are so pleased to have you guys in here. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Glad to be here. Thank you. And this week we're talking about adoption, and in particular, uh, international adoption in your case. But I tell you, you guys have quite the story when it comes to what you had to go through to bring home your daughter, Kezi. And I wanted to start from the beginning. I wanted to start with how you found out about Kezi in the first place and then work uh, into, you know, the extended amount of time that you had in, uh, in Kezi's home country, yes. Catherine. Um, but Tim, can you tell me a little bit about um, how that whole situation, how the, how the whole um, process of getting Kezi started? Uh, sure. So we were actually coming off of... Um well, I guess right around three and a half years mm-hmm. uh, worth of trying to adopt uh, wow. previously out of Haiti. Uh, and so we uh, we were actually coming kind of down off of uh, a failed attempt uh, out of trying to, to do an adoption out of Haiti. Um, so we had some uh, some challenges there with the matching and, and challenges with uh, just legally uh, the availability wow. uh, with that adoption. So um, we, we actually didn't know uh, whether we were going to be adopting or not uh, because we had already gone down that path and and kind of were weren't sure if God was just telling us no overall and so okay. um, we had had that had happened in uh, kind of closed out that in July uh, of um, 17 Correct. and so we uh, were kind of in a mode of, of praying and waiting and uh, I think in some in some ways just trying to get past all of that yeah. um, and uh, I guess Kat you found her uh, November November is when uh, God brought us a picture of her uh, for the first time. Yeah, so uh, it, it was on. She was on uh, a kind of a like a waiting child list uh, out of Liberia. We didn't know anything about Liberia. Uh, to be honest, we had to figure out where it was on the map. <laughs> uh, sure. So well, it, that's was, common. Yeah, I mean, we we were uh, kind of in getting a little geography lesson while we were doing adoption. So um, it it kind of started with uh, it, we. It's kind of the joke that that we have between each other is is that. Uh, she sent me the picture uh, via text. Uh, I was at work. Uh, she, I think it was something along the lines about, you know, what about this one? Uh, yeah. And uh, I think that came back. I think my response back was, well, I'm free on Friday. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, that, that kind of started the journey. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Kat, why don't you tell me a little bit about how that went? I mean, we're talking about a, 
a failed adoption attempt, so much emotional energy is invested uh, when you're trying to adopt. And unfortunately, it didn't work out in Haiti. But how long did it take you to, I guess, get over the fact that, hey, this is not going to work in Haiti and, and then to be presented right away? I mean, what, what was that process like for you? We came home the beginning of July of 2017, and a few a few short days after we were home, we were told by our government that the child that we had been matched to was not legally available, so we couldn't have brought him home even if we wanted to. Oh, my. Um, and it was, honestly, it was God um, just working me personally through a fast process of anger, of denial, of doubting of faith, um, learning to trust again, um, putting certain people in my life to go, hey, you're not done. You know, God does have a child there for you. And me actually um, believing in what I was hearing other people say and just being able to get into the scripture again and to trust that, okay, what I'm feeling in my heart is the calling of God, you know, on us to adopt and he does have a child for us. And um, so really from July until November, um, again, just kind of going through that process of do we adopt is three it for us, um, you know, and then I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop that nagging feeling that was on my heart of no, there's a child out there for you and it's just not in, it's not Haiti. Wow. Um, and so once, um, we found Kezi's picture, it was instant love. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like. Wow. You can't describe that feeling. So. Wow. And, you know, when when I sent the picture to Tim, I, I literally was just joking because um, um, she was cute. And I'm <laughs> like, well, who could say no to that face, right? Uh, and when his response kind of shocked me because there was like, there's no way, like, where's the finances going to come from? And yeah, because I mean, all, all the money we had burned through for, because basically we had, we had completed most of the financial aspects uh, of Haiti when we did that. Uh, and so most, most of what we were looking at from a financial perspective was already, we had already burned through uh, everything that Whoa. we felt like God had specifically provisioned for that process. So. Wow. And do you mind me asking how much that was? The first go around, you know. Uh, I think we, uh, yeah, I, I think we were up to uh, probably at that point we were we were up to probably around 25, uh, 25,000 or so that we had invested um, into Haiti, and then we had um, ha had we been able to finish, probably would have had another ten um, that would have been due uh, by the time that we were finished. So. Wow. And then Liberia was another with every all expenses, it was about thirty. Yeah, I, I think we ended, ended up right around right around 30. It was actually a little cheaper in Liberia, but, I mean, cheaper is relative when you're talking about that amount of money. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so we, we essentially were starting over. Right. Um, and so when, when we did Haiti, it was uh, it, it felt somewhat easy. Uh, I mean, God kind of provided all of that money in various ways um, up front. Um, we didn't really have to ask for money um, because God had just kind of different things that uh, he had provisioned at that time. And, uh, you know, honestly, it took um, – Looking at the picture, I knew what I was doing when I responded to her that way because I knew I was giving, uh, I knew I was giving an ounce of hope, and I knew I was indicating to her that I was interested. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I was of the mindset of, uh, God, if this is what you're going to do, like 
uh, I have a whole different level of faith that I need to be on at this point than where we were even before. Because before it was more like it came up front and then, you know, and we were just rolling as we went through uh, and he provided each step of the way. This time I, I, I really had to uh, come to terms with the fact that um, I, I knew he was going to have to use other people uh, this time to, in order per, to provide some of that. And I was super uncomfortable uh, with that. Um, so it was a much different experience uh, and a much different, I, I guess, not a style of faith, but just a different level of faith uh, that, that I needed to go at that again. Um, yeah, I, I think Kat had a different approach to it uh, in terms of faith. I think she was she was right there, but you know when when you're kind of in that providing role too, you're you're looking at well, you know, how do I make things happen? Uh, and I just didn't have the ability to make things happen, and so it was it was very much a uh, a response of God, I got you, you got to take it if we're going to do this, and it's got to be evident right throughout that experience. Right. I, I remember a, vi- a very specific feeling when he said yes let's do this and my question to him was are we being fools (laughs) like in all seriousness like are we being foolish to expect this kind of money again you know are we being selfish is it just you know there's a lot of human questions and feelings running through it and his comment was well I guess we'll be foolish for God because uh, you know we believe this is who he has for us yeah, that was an interesting. Um, we actually did a little bit of a lesson uh, in our small group about that too, um, where you know I was kind of I was kind of challenging people in our small group about uh, the fact of what what are what kind of foolish thing are you willing to do with God's money, uh, right? Because if it's not yours anyways, then then in what way are you willing to to be a bit of an entrepreneur for God, uh, right? And and risk the investment on something that you don't necessarily know the outcome on. Uh, because that's kind of what it felt like to me at that point. I've got a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit in me, and, and I thought, well, why not, why not be risky with God's money instead of being risky with what I think is mine? Uh, and so uh, this, this is kind of the way that we ended up approaching the whole bit, was that um, if, if God wants us to go down the path and we believe that he's called us to do that, uh, if he wants to waste it, then we'll waste it. Uh, it doesn't really matter to us. I think the biggest uh, change that I had to accept was um, I had to prepare my heart for the same failure to happen because oh, it was yeah. a grand possibility that we could get matched we could get all the way there and we could be told no again. Um, and yeah, both of these countries were yeah. very much countries that are not established well in this. I mean, there's a lot of uh, things that are not well funded. Um, there's a lot of corruption uh, that goes on. And so we very well knew that we were guinea pigging mm-hmm. um, the whole process. Uh, and it wasn't it, it wasn't as much of a guinea pig process, I think, with Haiti, um, although still had, a, had its set of challenges. But with Liberia, we knew that um, even the agencies that we were working with, um, there just wasn't a lot of experience level there. Uh, and so they don't do very many uh, adoptions per year. Um, I, I think it, I, I think with a couple of years before we started, they had done maybe 15 uh, in the year. Um, it was a very, very small amount. So we, we knew they were getting back into that mode, but they're just, they had had a lot of challenges with adoptions. And so they had pulled back. So we, we knew we were risking uh, even, even that same process again of, hey, we may get all the way to the end and still end up with, with not another kid in our home. Mm-hmm. Well, knowing what I know about your story and what I'll ask you to, to tell our listeners, it seems like God was preparing you ahead of time with the amount of faith that he was telling you to have in him and his provision and his timing for what you experienced once you got to Liberia. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you walk us through 
immediately before you went, Kat, and then what happened there? Immediately before I left, it was kind of your typical mom mode of making sure there's meals, you know, put in the freezer, you know, planning on two to three weeks. Mentally, I thought, well, it's third world country. I'm going to say four is like the max, you know, three and a half to four. Um, just getting everybody situated to where they needed to be. You know, three kids at home. You got very One big stages. kid that had to go to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of it was preparation, honestly. Not just for them, but me mentally. Because sure, sure. I never in my entire life have been away from any of my children that long. Wow. Ever. Sure. And our oldest is almost 19 years old. Well, you're talking a month. I mean, that yeah. not too many people are away from their kids I, for that long. I don't – well, we were talking about the fact I don't think we had even ever taken, like, a week vacation away from the kids. Like, we maybe sure. had gone, like, a day or two. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of thing. But I, we had never even done that long. So it, it was a definitely a, a very long uh, a long wait. It, it was – it was an excitement level uh, at first, sure, uh, and and all of the the things that went with it, um, and then it, it just it got a little more scary as time went on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I that morning um, riding to the airport was a lot of emotion. It was excitement. Um, it was, oh, is he gonna survive? <laughs> I actually had some wonderful friends that were my plan B in case, you know, had all that plan B set up. Um, sure, sure. And, and not just for the sake of helping him while I was gone, but there was a great chance that I would get there and the judge would tell me, no, your husband has to be here. Really? Because they were changing the laws as we, as we, you know, as we were speaking yeah. and packing and getting ready to go, oh they were goodness. still changing criteria. So our plan B was if I got to court and the judge refused to, you know, uh, do the adoption without him, then he was to hop on the plane and we had the dates of travel worked out and so on and so forth. Wow. So it was uncertainty every step of the way. Yeah. Um, but landing. Um, and getting there, it was, it was, it was so neat. It was kind of surreal. I didn't really sink in. Um, I got there on a, on a, I left on a Monday. I got there on a Wednesday. Um, and Tuesday, Tuesday night. Tuesday night, yeah. And um, so it's almost, it's almost, well, almost twenty four hours worth of flying right. by the time. You sure, land you land in Monrovia, and it's not anything like Texas. No, <laughs> no, not whatsoever. And you know, I was kind of expecting a little bit of Haiti, like because we've been there, and and for the most part, it was. But um, I didn't think that I could see anything worse than Haiti, and that area of Africa really is. Um, it's rough, huh? It is rough. Uh, Describe it for us. The. The tin roofs and the thatch siding, you know, is that you see on TV is what you see. Yeah. Um, they do have, you know, right in the middle of Monrovia in the main area where, like, all the government offices are. There is a paved road. Sure. Um, and there are there are hotels that, you know, are very nice for the area. Um, where I stayed was, you know, moderate. Um, yeah. It was clean. But, and, uh, and you are looking for qualifications like uh, we have, it has twenty four hour electricity, right? Uh, right? I mean, those, sure. that's a that's yeah. a real that's a real amenity yes. uh, on the on the listings when you're looking at them. Um, sure. And security, like you want to make sure that they have twenty four seven security. Um, that's there, and um, you kind of have to take their word for it. So, like when I was emailing the hotels, you know, to say, hey, 
what kind of you know security do you have and do you have 24 7 ac mm -hmm. do you have a generator you know do you get privy over electricity yeah you know do, over yeah. you know other places yeah because um, we had learned all of that the hard way when we went to haiti um, yeah. to see the little boy that was you know mat we were matched to um so we got there i got there um so at night, yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday night. Tuesday night, and then, uh, then Wednesday was immediately. Went, yeah, Wednesday morning we went and saw the kids. So there's another adoptive family there that were adopting twin boys as well. Okay. So it was the three of us, and yeah. um, it was <laughs> it was surreal. Wow. So how, how soon after you hit the ground uh, were you able to actually see Kezi? Mm -hmm. 24 hours oh wow well yeah it was, it was probably less than it was probably 12 hours yeah. by that point okay uh, yeah. because they arrived late on tuesday night and yeah. and it was you know kind of like eight nine o'clock monday morning or sorry wednesday morning yeah uh, at that point uh so yeah, yeah she uh, i since with the time difference i i woke up that morning to uh to to pictures on my phone uh, yeah. of, of her uh, yeah. right of her holding her oh that's... Um, and so it was that that was that was an amazing deal i, I was running around the house with my phone waking all the kids up um <laughs> at early in the morning to show to show them at that point because they said it, you it's difficult to to prepare for that moment um of of kind of I, I guess for me it was virtually meeting her for the first time sure you know through her uh, through cat uh, being there so so that was and, and I got to see a little bit of video she had mm -hmm. sent me a little bit of video uh, uh, from that for what she could get through so uh, and then they pretty much whisked right off to mm -hmm. went to uh, court right after that uh, because legally we had to say we saw the children before we could go to court and sure and adopt them and get the adoption decree so we were there for about two hours um, of which you know the first time she saw me she was sitting there and she screamed which totally expected I'm a white person she's never seen before <laughs> right she's not uh accustomed to seeing people like that look like me and i'm supposed to be holding you and 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 she's not having it and it was probably about 10 minutes and then she finally chilled and then um her stress response is sleep and she immediately oh. fell asleep and okay. was asleep the rest of the time and we got to talk to her nanny or i got to talk to her nannies the the rest of the time that i was there just getting information on her and tiny frail um you know, we, we got weights and, and sizes before we left, but not really what they said it was. Um, they were uh, being optimistic, were they? They were. <laughs> I think their scale was off by a few pounds. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So you you get this girl who is now, in your mind, 100% your daughter. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Then we were supposed to take them after court. And... Um, we were told that they had to go back to the passport office. And we're like, okay, well, let, what time do you want to meet us? We're talking to the uh, coordinator there that works for the adoption agency. And he said, no, 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 they're gonna go with the birth mothers to the passport office. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> uh, they're not supposed to be involved anymore. <laughs> right. Um, but the, they, the, when the working theory was that they needed the children to be absolutely quiet, quiet in the office. Because it was near the presidential office. And, yeah. and, and I, I guess they believed the birth mothers would be able to do that, even though the birth mothers hadn't seen their kids in, in almost, almost a year. Yeah, almost a year. Uh, so uh, so we're, we're still not sure why that, that took place, uh, but uh, at least I guess allowed them to kind of go get settled uh, in, in uh, you know, hotels and the whole bit um, and, and kind of get prepped for that. And then you actually got them then on Friday. We got them Friday, yes, um, because the idea was, well, you know, let's they're going to go to the passport office, that, you know, with birth mothers' 
traumatizing and let's let them go back to what they know is is good and safe and then we'll pick them up later for good you know right. like, let's not play this back and forth game and so that's what we did um, that was all within first week yeah that was yeah um like i said i landed uh, tuesday saw her for you know wednesday picked her up friday and she was with me the rest of the time i was there um and then um then the drama really started after that <laughs> so when you say drama Walk us through that. Uh, I've heard bits and pieces, but I would love to hear the whole story right now. Um, so first up was, so there was a couple things that go in parallel, right? Yes. So, they're, they're, so what were the steps in parallel before um, passport office? We had to get to the passport office. Um, we had to get all of the documentation from oh, yeah. court um, notarized and archived. Okay. Um, so what does that entail in Liberia? Uh literally an act of God um, it, it it really was um, it, it's just a lot of what they call it librarian time everything's slow um, it's just I mean, it's nothing more than a clerk uh, yeah. run, running that paperwork uh, but those those things were happening and then the next major appointment uh, the embassy. W- would be the US Embassy uh, where you're actually working on then um, the I guess the citizenship uh, the approval process. So Liberia has their standards of and definition of what an orphan is, and then the U.S. has their standards and definition of what an orphan is. Right. And so... Let me guess, they're not the same. Um, no. Well, well they, <laughs> they're, they're, on it, paper, yes, but yeah, in real life, no. They're trying to agree on it is basically the process of that, but um, the U.S. responsibility is to ensure that it that, that they truly are an orphan. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the, the first step. And right. then they're actually, um, once that's done, they grant a visa. Okay. Uh, right. And so all of that paperwork ultimately results in when you land on U.S. soil, they are an automatic U.S. citizen. Okay. Um, and so that that's that's a heavy process, as you can imagine, to make sure, because that, we, we don't do any of that lightly. Of course. Um, but, well, but, they want to prevent human trafficking. They yep. want to prevent... And that's the, the primary reason for all of that process. Yes. Yeah. So so that was um, th- those offices are only open on Wednesday and Friday. Uh, and so the only time they take appointments is, is Wednesday and Friday uh, for that. So uh-huh. Wednesday was that appointment. The assumption going into that was, here's all the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Right. Schedule me for my visa on Friday, and then we'll pick it up on Wednesday. And, and there you we'll go. Move forward, but oh no, that was not how it, God had different plans. Um, we went, um, Kezi and I went on Wednesday with the other family and the counselor that runs the office of the U.S. Embassy. Basically, said I have to do my own investigation. I have to make sure that her case notes, her case history, her orphan status is actually a legit orphan status. And so I was Whoa. like, okay, so Whoa. what does that mean? Yeah. How do we do this? <laughs> yeah, and so she's like, I just need to make some calls, and hopefully I can get back with you by the end of this week. Well, so <laughs> ultimately what, what had happened in that first visit was that they had misread yes. uh, They misread the paperwork. Uh, and so what they had read was, so part of the, adop- the orphan status is that uh, when the, if their birth father is not in the picture, uh, right then, they just use utilize the birth mother for that approval. Okay. Uh, but but the birth father has to be out of the picture for them to only be considering the birth mother. I see. They read the paperwork that the birth mother was staying with biological father. The biological father was the birth mother's biological father. So it would have been Kezi's grand grandparent. Oh. But they read that as the biological father of Kezi, uh, uh. and so they said, "Hey, they've still got a relationship." 
they still work, you know, they're still together, so we need his approval as well. Uh, and so that, that generated then, we need to see the birth mother because we need to clarify this story. We'll bring her in on Friday, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and, and I mean, women are not highly valued in Africa anyways. So for a highly respected, respected anyway. valued both, um, for her to make the trip, she lived about an hour away. She lived in the bush um, and stepped foot on a US embassy. She was very intimidated. Um, and they would not let me stay in the, the room with her during the um, interview. And they would not let me keep Kezi with me during the interview. They made me leave her with the birth mom during the interview. And uh, wow. very intimidated. Um, and she came out. At so, and the other, sorry, and the other family that we were with also they, experienced a similar problem. Yes. Uh, so there was something wrong in their paperwork as well. They had to deal with their birth mother coming in on Friday as well. So we were in lockstep with them at this point mm -hmm. on this Friday appointment. They bring birth mom in to talk. They, she exits, and we still don't have approval. Right. So the other family's birth mother, I guess, answered the questions correctly. Um, okay. So they got to move forward. And, and I'm still stuck with a no. And you're stuck. And all that we know is that she said something that didn't match with the what paperwork. The case, yeah, what the case note said. But they can't tell you what. Right? They're not allowed to tell you what. Yeah. So it was come back next Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So and we, we'll try again. Yes. And so um, we went back, and it was still no. And by this point, we're rounding out um, to week two, and I did not know if I was going to be able to bring our daughter home. And how much longer were you there? Um, it took about two and a half weeks to get through the U.S. Embassy process, which should have taken a week. Okay. Um, it should have taken two days, really. Yeah. Well, two days. But, That's a week, yeah. Um, yeah. Essentially, um, the end of the second week of working and talking back and forth with the counselor at the U.S. Embassy office, she did her own field investigation and, and said, she emailed me and said, I... I can grant this approval only because I can't disprove parts of it that I have question on. Oh my. And I'm like, so what does that mean? And she goes, well, I will approve her orphan status based on what she was told by locals from the birth mother's village. Right. Yeah, they, they actually went out to the village and interviewed people that knew the birth mother. So they uh, did and, their homework. And knew of the family uh, to, to just to get to that point. So they did do a thorough job. Um, but ultimately, we were on the third week uh, by the point that they had actually, we had actually gotten that approval. Yeah, it was the end of the third week. And it was... Um, and all of the paperwork stalled with, until that's actually done. Right. right. And, and, of course, the Friday that I could have gone back to get the visa <laughs> in the visa interview, yeah. they were closed for a holiday. <laughs> of and, course. And so she was gracious um, and said, I will bring you in on Thursday. We don't do adoption stuff on Thursday. But I will see you in the morning. We'll do our interview, and I will do my best to get you your visa the same day. Wow. Which it was complete prayer. It was um, lots of people here praying. Yeah. And it happened. Wow. Yeah. And so. At, and at that point, so, I mean, really, we, we thought, you know, that, that was a major challenge, right? Yeah. That, that was significant prayer. Um, that, that was a lot of, of um, a lot of stress from that. And so. From there, it, it was pretty straightforward. It was a, it, it was basically a immigration, health, yeah, a immigration health checkup. interview, uh huh, and um, and then go get some, go get the, you know, the actual interview for the immigration side, which is really a rubber stamp 
kind of a process. Yeah. Right? It's, it's you just go in and, and get the, the paperwork signed. Okay. There's not really an approval to that okay. uh, per se. And so we, we just assumed that was, you know, probably going to be a couple to three days, you know, kind of work uh, to get through those things. Um, and, and and there again, we, we ran into we ran into issues. Well, we, so the other family was ahead of us at mm-hmm. that point. Right. They had hit an issue at that point. And the issue that they had had uh, was something in the paperwork that had uh, that, that they had held up. What was the what, what did they actually they tell needed us? a they needed another copy of their one of the birth certificates. So, so we knew they had gotten held up, and so we, we knew we were going to get stopped as well. Um, they were being told that they were being held uh, by the Ministry of Labor, Department of Labor, Department of Department of Labor, uh, was stopping the, their process of the getting their exit clearance to leave the country. Which should cause you to furrow your brow a little bit to go, how is the Department of Labor yeah. involved with immigration, immigration. Uh, to get us out of uh, out of out of the country? <laughs> so. At this point, we we honestly I don't even know that we knew what to say anymore. Like we, the 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 director of the orphanage, who is basically our main communication, our only uh, advocate in the country, um, really didn't know. wasn't giving us a whole lot of information at that point. And he wasn't in contact with us for about a week and a half. Like he was supposed to be our person on the ground in country, and he nada. No, I tried calling him on my phone. Um, there was a, a prepaid phone that we had bought in country so that, that there was a librarian number to yeah. reach us on. So yeah. it wasn't, you know, hard for him. Right. And he just didn't respond. And so during this oh. process, uh, Tim finally reached out to a different agency just to go, hey, look, I know we're not contracted with you, but can you just help me out here? Yeah. yeah. Our, our agency, which wasn't, um, they, I think they were nervous to push because they were new to the country. Yeah. Uh, and so I think they, they were just in the mode of, hey, just let it ride. This stuff takes time, uh, and it'll work itself out. And, and we're on the other end going, look, this doesn't even make sense. That's right. what we're trying to tell you. It doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, right. Is it logic tells you that these people shouldn't be involved, this department shouldn't be involved. And so when I called this other agency and started explaining it to them, they, they had kind of the same I'm, – I'm really coming at it from a begging standpoint. I'm telling the other agency, look, I realize I'm not paying you any money, but you guys have done – we knew of some families that had already – had just come back from Liberia that had used this agency. Mm-hmm. And we said, can you help us out with some understanding at least? Just provide some guidance for us. Right. Uh, they were very gracious, uh, but they were very, uh, uh, very abrupt with me in the sense that – that process is wrong. Uh, they're not doing something right. That department shouldn't be involved. You've got problems, uh, right? And so they they kind of spun us up in a whole different path. But the kicker out of all of it, when we talk about drama, is they um, th- this lady called me back from this agency and she said, um, we th- we're pretty sure we know the home that you're talking about. Um, our person on the ground there who also has a home uh, knows the person that is working with you. Uh, and they said, he's just had all of his kids removed from his house. Uh-oh. Yeah, he, he didn't have a very good standing reputation no. in so the country. The, no. the reason that he had gone a little bit radio silent is that he ended up in a situation where all the kids had been removed from his house. And we started looking at the timing because they had said uh, that it had happened um, this month. And by this month, we were in, in the month of August at that point. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we said, well, look. We've been there almost a month. Yeah. Uh, by this point, you know, so when would this have happened? We started kind of backstepping the timing, and we think all of the kids got removed within a day or two of you hitting the of, ground of us actually getting Kezi in oh. our hands. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so, and all of the other families, oh. uh, cats talking to via email uh, from inside the country, they have no idea 
uh, that the kids had been removed. Right. Uh, and so now they don't even know. All the other families that were behind us had no idea where their kids were. Um, and uh, so, so we were, at this point, now it's starting to all add up. It's starting to add up why uh, we're, we're experiencing the delays. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it took some doing. We finally got to an understanding mm-hmm. that apparently the director of the home where Kezi was uh, had a dispute with his neighbor. Okay. Uh, the dispute with his neighbor uh, was some over some land. Okay. Uh, and ultimately that landed on them being in a situation where the neighbor turned him in tr- on some trumped up charges uh, oh. that he had fabricated uh, in order to get him in trouble. Uh, much like they would here, you can't ignore uh, the kinds of claims that the gentleman had made uh, against the director, and so they had no choice but to remove the kids from the home. Um, everything that we did from that point forward, he was tagged uh, with... In all of the government entities. In, in, in every government entity. Uh, and the Department of Labor was involved because they were the ones that were involved in his dispute. So oh they had basically put a stop on all government agencies of working with anything that he had done uh, and while they were working through this investigation. And you're caught right in the middle of this. You got it. Yeah. So now we're a step in step with the other families. So both families we, we are up. stuck. Yeah. At getting, we just need. Literally a, we, a, a we need signature an, on a piece of paper, yeah, right? We need the commissioner the immigra- yeah. of immigration to sign and stamp and give us our paper so we can get out of the country with our kids right but that didn't take a couple of days did it oh no that added another week and a half yep yeah and so this whole time what's going through your head cat what what is going through your mind as you're sitting night after night with your little girl Mm -hmm. wondering what um i'm wondering god you certainly wouldn't do this again we had already gone through this. Um, we weren't to the point of actually being in country and waiting to take our, our son home from Haiti. We were home and got that information. And um, this point, I'm there. I bonded with her for, you know, five weeks. And my kids are missing me. Um, just kind of all that emotion. I've run out of prepackaged meals. <laughs> so we're at a so crisis point we, here. We are in more ways than one. And I tell you, I reached a whole new level of prayer life. I really did. That concludes this episode of the Inhale Exhale podcast. Thank you for joining us. Tune in next week when you'll hear the conclusion of the Pilsen's very happy story of how they got their daughter Kezi home. Very special thanks to Tim and Kat Pilsen and to Lead Pastor Jason Predis. And thank you again for joining us on the Inhale, Exhale podcast from Fielder Church.